Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of Z-Action. The IBM Z-Systems platform has never been more exciting, with ISVs and developers leveraging the latest emerging technologies to maximize clients' needs. Each month, we meet some of the world's most innovative companies as they share how they're expanding horizons and driving success with Z-Systems. This is IBM Z-Systems in action right now, Z-Action. I'm Lee Sullivan with the IBM Z Systems ISV ecosystem team, and today we welcome 21st Century Software's Brandon Wilkie and Chris Hartley. Brandon is a development team lead for the IBM Transparent Data Migration Facility for ZOS, better known as TDMF. Chris is the web product developer. Also with us is IBM ZOS product manager Fiona King. They're all here to talk about challenges surrounding data migration and how modern UI can help. Everyone, thanks for joining us. Great. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Lee. So, Brandon, I'm going to start with you. Um, can you tell us what typically motivates mainframe shops to perform a data migration? Yeah, sure. Um, there's a few reasons. Um, the, the one that we see most typically is um, just a, a typical kind of scheduled hard, hardware, hardware refresh or technology upgrade. Um, so the reason for that is that um, at some point it kind of becomes just a little bit more expensive to maintain any kind of aging disk storage than it is just to, to upgrade it. Um, and so uh, most most customers kind of find it preferable to schedule upgrades um, of the storage hardware on a pretty regular basis. Um, but besides just like a cost reason, um, there's, there's business reasons also. So um, <clears throat> one of those is um, just needing more capacity. So um, one of the things on ZOS is that you have a limited number of UCBs. And so um, if you can upgrade your disk storage to um, ha have more backing behind each one of those UCBs uh, to, to gain over more overall storage, it's beneficial. Um, another is that you know, later hardware will also gain you better performance uh, with your I.O. So um, customers that are needing um, needing better performance out of their systems, uh, have have high volume workloads, things like that, um, will typically be pretty aggressive in their their hardware refreshes. Um, but um, there's there's also some other reasons. Um, we we also see people sometimes just, just changing storage vendors. Um, so uh, that's that's one reason. Um, uh, data center relocation would be another reason. Like we're just moving moving. Um, some of their systems and storage from from one one location to another geographically, um, and kind of a sub, sub subset of that is uh, like mergers and acquisitions of companies acquiring another business, and so they're <clears throat> kind of consolidating separate systems into one, or uh, can go in the other way if if there's a subsidiary. Uh, you're kind of splitting off a portion of your business. Uh, you're kind of splitting off a portion of your your storage and needing to migrate that to a different system. So those are the the most typical reasons we see, though. Right. Okay. So how difficult is it to migrate data? Um, it really depends. There, there's a number of factors that kind of go into that. Um, the, probably the the biggest factor is um, how much data you're migrating. Um, so if you're entire, you're migrating an entire storage system. That's a that's a big project. Uh, maybe you're just migrating a subset of volumes, um, or maybe it's just specific files or data sets. Like that's you know a little bit more manageable, a little different. So the the size of the project has a lot to do with how much data you're migrating. Um, but um, you know it it kind of so if you're doing like a migration to volume level, um, it could 
kind of another complicating factor is if you are, I mentioned earlier, um, increasing capacity. So if you're, if you are migrating from smaller capacity to larger capacity volumes on the new hardware, um, then that kind of can be, an, there's additional steps you have to do to make that work. Um, Let's see, um, what else? If you've, <laughs> another big thing is if you have, if your data is actively in use or if it's kind of archival or at rest kind of data, uh, it's obviously more complicated to do a migration for data that's currently in use. Um, so uh, if, you, if you do have, if you are migrating active data, then it's another question of what, how long of an outage can you tolerate? And, in a lot of shops, the answer is not much. So that, that also uh, is a complicating factor. But, um, but yeah, there's other other considerations in the, on top of those. So there's, you know, what operating systems are accessing your data. Um, and uh, depending on what operating system, there's, there's a lot of tools out there to make things easier, especially for some of those user, easier cases where you're just migrating individual um, you know, files or data sets, things of that nature. So each op each operating system um, provides its own kind of copy facilities that, that would be able to handle some of those easier use cases. On ZOS, you'd have, have DFTSS. Uh, ZVM has things like P-Tape and uh, DASD Dump Restore. Uh, VSE would have fast copy ditto commands that would kind of handle some of those easier cases. Um, but there's also, besides kind of those most easy, like file data set type level uh, migrations, um, if you're doing storage system level migrations, if you're, there are scenarios where if you're staying on IBM Z storage, it's a IBM Z to IBM Z, you could use um, flash copy or um, kind of remote copy, Metro Mirror, global type of solutions. Um, other storage vendors would have their own own solutions, and um, if you're, you know, doing kind of inter-storage vendor migrations, it's where it's a tool like TDMF uh, that Chris and I work on is very helpful with that kind of stuff. Um, so those are kind of a, a number of factors that uh, determine how how difficult it is, um, but. Um, but for like the more complex cases where you have a lot of active data or um, things of that nature, uh, a lot of customers end up relying on uh, using IGS, that's IBM Global Services, some kind of or some kind of other contractors to assist in doing a migration project of of a larger scope and difficulty. Okay, great. A lot of great information. So with that, can you talk us through what the typical migration project looks like? Um, sure. Uh, so, I mean, it starts out kind of um, with analysis, and that's that's really just taking into account all of those things we just covered, um, kind of trying to figure out the difficulty of the data migration. So, um, figuring out, you know, how much data you're migrating, what kind of data you're migrating, if it's at rest or active, things of that nature. So, kind of taking all that, all those things into account, figuring out, um, you know exactly what it is that you're dealing with, and then once you have that pretty well established, then it would go into a planning phase, um, and that's where you're really kind of design designing um, what what kind of um, 
migration you need to do, like what tools would be involved with and uh, for what portions, um, maybe scheduling, like just try to figure out when um, you can take an outage, if you need to take a brief outage for data to be inaccessible, like things of that nature, uh, maybe running some tests or proof of concept type testing to, to ensure that the, the plan that you've come up with is going to work on a smaller scale. Uh, but once that's all figured out, then it really just comes a matter of performing it. So just going through uh, whatever you have laid out. Um, and then it's always important, like post post doing post the migration, um, doing verification, make sure making sure that everything's working properly, that there weren't any unexpected hiccups. Um, and then um, another important step is to make sure that all of your old storage is wiped so that you don't have any issues with data privacy concerns, things of that nature. Um, but, you know, we talked a little bit, uh, these are kind of the steps that someone like IGS would do, like and their, their biggest value add in all of this would be and those first phases of planning and analysis, those are those are really where where things are difficult. Um, yeah, once a plan's decided upon, like executing it and uh, things of that nature aren't too difficult. But it is there's a lot to consider going into the analysis and planning phases. Great. Okay. Well, thank you for those answers, Brandon. So Chris, I'm gonna to jump to you now. Um, so Brandon just provided us with a high level overview about data migration. And now our listeners might be wondering how this all ties back into ZUSMF. So can you briefly describe why TDMF has decided to move to using a web interface? Of course. So for those who aren't familiar, TDMF is a very mature product and it's been helping mainframe customers migrate their DASD since 1996. And as that storage technology has evolved, so is TMF allowing for an ever-increasing number of volumes that it can support for a single migration. But our UI hasn't evolved nearly as quickly as the engine has. And until recently, ISPF dialogs have been the only UI for interfacing with this ever-increasing amount of data. Uh, so TDMF now supports thousands of volumes for migration, but having ISPF as the primary interface is very limiting. So having a limited terminal size that users have to navigate through many, sometimes hundreds of pages to find status information for a particular volume uh, input forms are also more difficult to navigate uh, in ISPF than they are uh, with web tools, and they're also harder to validate as well. And overall, this can be a slow process for the user as there's a load time between pages, and it's not as fluid of a process as browsing the same information on a web browser. And uh, I guess as the last point, um, ISPF panels are also limited in how users can view and interact with data. Uh, whereas web tools, they provide a rich and interactive display, which allows users to extract meaningful data about their migrations more quickly. And so TMF, uh, I'm sorry, 21st century software has wanted to provide a more modern UI for its users for some time. But until ZUSMF, the can has always been kicked down the road, primarily because the pros never outweighed the potential cons that include users having to set up their own custom server, as well as requiring our developers to handle authentication, permissions, and security themselves. And ZUSMF has given us the platform we've been looking for, which gives us the pro of a web interface without the cons. And so our plans for enhanced UI are finally coming to fruition. Great. So a little bit related to that, Chris, I understand that you come from a background of developing web applications for ZOS. So could you tell us more about how your previous experience as a developer compares to now developing using the ZOSMF framework? 
Sure. Uh, so I've been a full stack web developer on US for six years now. And full stack meaning I work on both the server and the UI portions of the applications. And uh, my work focuses uh, in data analytics and visual visualizations. But more generally, my work uh, is expanding the capabilities of these older US products with more modern tooling, which allows for different and improved user interactions with web interfaces compared to those traditional ISPF screens. And so prior to TDMF, I'd worked on a web product with similar high-level objectives, which would generate JCL to run a batch job, monitor the status of those jobs, and then retrieve the output. With this product, we had to set up our own server to run and start a task, handle the authentication and security, uh, develop methods to interact with certain parts of ZOS, uh, namely working with batch jobs and the ZOS uh, file systems. So the sum of that work ended up costing us a ton of development time before we could even start to think about the broader project requirements. And it took our small team over six months to get a working server backend that interacted with ZOS in the ways that we needed it to. And it was more than a year to have a working product that we could finally ship. And when it did come time to install our project at customer sites, we faced even more development setbacks. And we'd often have to spend days or weeks debugging issues that users were having with their installation, permissions, and configurations, all of which slowed production because it required our team to stop the regular work and address the problems that users and admins were having. And it also cost customers valuable time that they could have been spent using the product. But by contrast, targeting ZOSMF as TDMF's development platform has saved us massive amounts of development time because it provides a pre-configured server and a ro robust set of APIs already included. Great, so it sounds like you did a lot of the development for the TDMF 5.11 ZOSMF plugin. So I'd love to hear about some specific ways that ZOSMF has improved your development experience, if you could share. Yeah, so I briefly mentioned um, that ZOSMF comes with a nice set of APIs uh, right out of the box. And it also has fantastic API documentation surrounding them that not only lists the endpoints, but it also allows developers to test those APIs before working them into a product, um, which would generally a more complicated task to do um, because the environment is, is much more complicated than the documentation. And so that has saved us quite a bit of time. But uh, more to the point, ZOSMF has pretty much everything that we've needed right out of the box. So it has the authentication that's baked right into the ZOSMF product. Uh, ZOSMF is now standard on uh, Z future, all future ZOS uh, installations. So we don't have to have users set up a custom server. We know it's already going to be there and it's going to be accessible to us. And so those APIs include uh, data set APIs for reading, writing, and deleting data sets, job APIs for submission, status querying, and retrieval of output, all of which were major pain points in our ZOS uh, web development prior to ZOSMF. And then for custom product functionality, we're also able to use the TSO APIs to run code in TSO address spaces and retrieve the responses. And so in addition to just having those APIs already available, uh, ZOSF has also reduced the development time in another big way, which is enabling our developers to use modern web development tools and techniques. So on previous projects, we had to develop, compile FTP files up to the mainframe, start a new server, start a task. And that was all before we could actually start testing our code changes. So where ZOSMF has been a game changer in that regard 
is that it allows our developers to develop and test products locally by contacting those USMF API endpoints from our development machines without having to jump through the hoops of recompiling, moving, and reinstalling to test even small code changes. And additionally, we use React.js as our UI framework, uh, which integrates seamlessly into ZUSMF, and developers gain access to a feature called Ha Reloading because of that, which even removes the manual compilation step of the process. And so overall, things move much quicker when developing with ZUSMF as our platform compared to more uh, compared to those older methods. So uh, to bring it back to that previous project, uh, that took six months just to get a server up and provisioned for ZUS tasks and another six months to get a working prototype. Uh, whereas with TDMF, we're able to get a complete working prototype in only four months. And in nine months, we had a fully working product, which was a personal record for a ZUS web product. Wow, awesome. It's really great to hear about how ZUSMF has improved your development experience. Um, do you have any plans in store for future versions of TDMF? So going forward, we view the plugin as a vital platform for further enhancing our user experience. Uh, it's providing that framework for us to construct a web-based UI that benefits both our current users as well as our future users. So current users get a more scalable and robust interface with nice graphs and charts and no more scrolling through hundreds of pages of green screens just to find that one volume. At the same time, it benefits new users with a more modern, more user-friendly UI that they can jump right into using without having to spend so much time learning um, how, how to use these things. Um, and we, we can't discuss our future plans in too much detail, but what I can say is that we do intend to add quite a bit more functionality to the plugin going forward enhance TDMF in ways that wouldn't be feasible with ISPF panels. And it's thanks to the ZOSMF platform that allows us to do that. Great. Well, that was all the questions I had for you, Chris and Brandon. Thank you both so much. Lee, I will pass it back to you. Yeah, great stuff, guys. Thanks, thanks for that deep dive. That was, that was really interesting. Uh, before we close, as a reminder, uh, be sure to join the ISP ecosystem user group on the IBM Z and Linux One community for more updates on how ISVs are innovating the IBM Z systems platform. They have blogs, events, videos, discussions, and more. For more on modernization, be sure to visit the IBM Z and Cloud Modernization Center. And to learn more about how TDMF can help you with data migration, please visit IBM's website and 21st Century Software Online. You'll find links in the show notes. Until next time, thanks for joining us here on Z Action. Be sure to subscribe for our next episode. Goodbye for now.